So it's Thanksgiving week read. I'm interested to know what your favorite item that you like to eat at Thanksgiving. So the turkey and dressing is uh, in the gravy. I don't even count because like everybody has that, at least to some degree. I do like the green bean casserole with like the onion crispy on the top or whatever. I, you know, I'm going to go cranberry sauce and I prefer to have both. Like I need the one that's like fancy and it's like the relish that somebody's fixed. And then I'd like the one shaped like a can at the same time, just like two separate dishes. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physicians' practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode one. 99. 199. So we are right on the uh, cusp of episode 200. But before we get there, Chris Boyer, as always. This is Thanksgiving week, and next week will be episode 200. And I plan to eat my fair share of Thanksgiving food, so I will be 200 pounds heavier by next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking good. It's not trending in a good direction already. I haven't even gotten there yet. As you're listening to this, I mean, certainly we've recorded this uh, pre-Thanksgiving week, but we're not turning in a good direction already. This is going to be a cool episode, a fun episode. Some of you may have even uh, listened in to part of this episode already. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we're going to actually have two interviews today. It's a twofer. It's a double header. It's a appetizer and main course. I, I don't know. H- however you want to, however you want to frame that. But the first, uh, the first interview is one that we actually did live. We do all our interviews live. I don't know why I continue to say that, but anyway, it was broadcast live. I should say as part of HCIC at home or the Healthcare Internet Conference 2020. And also, we'll get into the uh, the second as well. But before we do. Uh, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. You can go over there and check out certainly uh, more about this particular episode that you're listening to. You can also check out this show that you're listening to. You can also check out the shows and episodes of all the others on the network. And you uh, say you don't realize there's other episodes and shows on the network. Well, there are. And there's many of them, like over a dozen, like 15 or 18 or I don't know. I've kind of lost track at this point. But go check it out. You can also sign up for the TPS report, which is our weekly email that comes out every Monday morning. It's got some great clips and uh, five stories aggregated by our show hosts that will uh, set your week off uh, on a good foot. Uh, so go do that. We're going to take a quick pause here, and then we'll be back with first to two, uh, two interviews. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, 
and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Okay, before the break, Reed, you mentioned that this first interview that we're going to feature today actually was recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, the 2020 Virtual Healthcare Internet Conference, or HCIC at Home, as they were calling it. And you and I had a chance to sit down with Ahava, a leap tag, but she's been on the show before. But there's a special reason why we all sat down is because this year, you and Ahava were nominated into the 2020 Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame as the most innovative individuals. So congrats to you, my friend. Yeah, thanks. It was, it was a special honor, and it was uh, neat to go in with somebody that uh, I've known for some time, admire certainly, and obviously has been on the show like you mentioned, but uh, got to know her very early on uh, in her entrance into healthcare. It was pretty early in, when I was involved and you and I were involved and things like that. So I've gotten to work with her and know her and see her on the conference circuit in, uh, in the day-to-day work of clients for some years now. It was an honor, certainly, um, not only to get inducted with her, but also join uh, yourself and join others that have been on the show, like Ed Bennett and Lee Acey and Brian Gresh and Matt Gove. And I many there's there's a whole laundry list of folks that have been inducted in. So it was cool. And so, yeah, we got to sit down and talk a little bit about uh, how we got into healthcare, how that's evolved, kind of what we're seeing now. Thanks for a good conversation. And if you if you didn't listen to it live, here you go. If you did listen to it live, here you go again. We're excited to be here recording the Touchpoint podcast live from HCIC at home for 2020. And as always, I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Reed Smith. Reed, how you doing? Uh, I'm not used to being, I usually do the intro. So yeah, I now know. I'm on the back side of that. <laughs> It's good to be here. This is fun to do. We always do a podcast from HCIC, and so this year is no different. Well, this one is a little bit different because we are virtual, but also because we have another very special guest that's joining us today, and that's Ahava Tag. Ahava, welcome to the show, and by the way, happy birthday to you. Thank you. It's very exciting to be here. It's a special day for a lot of reasons. There's, there are a lot of reasons. Not only is it your birthday, but today um, is the day that we are honoring both you and Reed being inducted into the Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame. Individual and most innovative individuals. So congratulations to you both. Well deserved. Thank you. Reed was one of my first friends in the healthcare uh, <laughs> industry. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I think uh, it's, of, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, I think we, of course, Chris and I, you know, I've known each other for a long time, but, um, it's uh, it's a very small, large world uh, in this uh, in this space, and so it's uh, it's exciting, and it's it really is an honor. Yeah, it's it's really great, and it's well deserved. For the two of you, have had so many contributions to our industry over the years, and so for the next uh, half hour or so, we're going to be talking through some things, and um, uh, uh, we're going to talk about like what we see in the past and and where we see things are headed towards the future. So it should be a really engaging, interesting conversation. 
And um, let's start off first, though, because I found this kind of interesting. I watched both of yours, both of your uh, inaugural, uh, your, your videos that were presented. For those of you who are following the conference, you can see that video. And um, it was interesting because it made me think about what, what your origin stories are, your unique origin stories, how you got into healthcare. And uh, Hava, let's start with you first, because um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you were at the first healthcare internet conference with a good friend of ours, Aaron Watkins, you're presenting. But how did you get into healthcare originally? So uh, Sina Shatavitel from MedStar was a friend of mine from the federal government. And she called me one day. I was in the CVS parking lot. I picked up the phone from a number I didn't know. And she said, I just had a freelance writer walk out on a job. Can you please come help me out? And I said, all right. And I went in. It was for their foundation. And it was the first meeting where I actually felt like I knew what I was doing as a writer. And I just thought this is what I should do. And then I called the team at Johns Hopkins every week for four months. And finally, Kathy Smith and Sharon Alpestein were like, okay, we'll have you come in for a meeting. But really, I had a terrible life experience where I had a life-threatening illness. I was hospitalized with pancreatitis, which was part of an underlying uh, GI condition that I have. And when I looked online, it terrified me. And I just always think about the patient on the other end of the screen and what they're going through and how terrified they are and how they have no idea what you're talking about. And just always try to focus our work on remembering that person and what they need when we're delivering content to them. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I actually wrote once about how I got into healthcare is similar. I have a medical condition and realizing the communication between the doctor and the hospital and myself was just so horrible and kind of incented me. Now, Reed, you've had a different kind of trajectory that got you into healthcare, right? Do you mind going back to the hollow days of when you first got into healthcare and, and share with us how, how that happened? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I was a marketing major in college. So that means when I got out, I got a job in sales. And so uh, after selling copiers for a few years, while lots of fun, um, I decided that probably wasn't the best trajectory. Anyway, long story short, um, I ended up at a minor league baseball game with a guy named Quint Studer, who uh, had the Studer group for many years um, and, and was a healthcare consultant, patient experience consultant, and said, you know, you really ought to work um, in healthcare. That's where you can actually make a difference. And I uh, had an opportunity to uh, be and take a role as the director of marketing at a hospital in Central Texas. And so it gave us an opportunity to move back closer to family, gave me an opportunity to actually do marketing. And uh, it was a great, it was a great opportunity, great experience. And um, yeah, that's how I that's how I got into this about 20 years ago. You know, wow, that's that's quite a while, right? But I think it's interesting that we have a, a similar thread in all of our backstories, isn't that we're here for the patient experience, right? Mm -hmm. So let's you know, as we kind of flash forward to now, well, let's let's think about like how things we've seen things change in this industry because when I first got into it uh, over 10 years ago. And, and Ahava, you've, you're a little bit longer. I think Reed is the longest, right? Between all of us, but, um, that's cause you're an old man, I suppose, Reed, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, how have we seen things change? Because way back when I started patient experience, wasn't something that we were top of mind talking yeah. about. No, I, you know, I, I mentioned Quint Studer. And, and so when I went to that hospital, subsequently they, 
became a client of the Studer Group at the time. And they needed an initiative champion to roll that out uh, programmatically, like within the hospital and stuff like that. And so they gave that to me because I don't know, they couldn't find anybody else to do it, I guess. And at the time, I remember thinking these were two very different roles that I had as the marketing guy and then the patient experience kind of program director, if you will. And, and it's funny, all these years later, they're really not any different. Like that is one in the same uh, in a lot of cases. And so it's just really funny how, you know, you, at the time, patient experience was, was pretty much short of some discharge phone calls, only about what happened inside the brick and mortar walls of, um, of a clinic or hospital or doctor's office. Mahala, did you, do you have a similar experience or tell us about your what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I think, so when I think back on that first presentation Aaron and I did, we had a doctor who was the chair of a department. So I know everybody in the audience is wincing. And he wanted us to write these very encyclopedic condition and treatment pages. And Aaron and I said to each other, you know, let's try to do evidence-based marketing here. And we did this study about how to take the important content and not bury the lead and move it up on the page and how to weave the marketing messages throughout that sort of academic, more, you know, heavy material and breathe air into it and make it more about the patient experience. And he felt like, he, not that he fell for it, he went for it because he saw how much the data showed that patients responded to the better design of the page and the better content strategy. And I think that we've all moved in that direction towards evidence-based marketing. You know, every presentation you go to is like graphs and tables and monitoring and listening and all this stuff. And I think, you know, I've worked inside of other, you know, um, verticals besides healthcare. And one of the things I think that we always say to ourselves is we're behind, but we're not. I mean, we really are ahead as this community. And I don't know that I felt that way in 2011, but I certainly feel that way now that, we get it. We get the pressures that are coming. We get what needs to happen. And we're constantly out there, you know, trying to convince our executives and our clients. And I think that COVID actually, unfortunately, that this had to happen, but I think it's actually really going to help us do the things that we've always been passionate about doing for the patients. Well, sure. But I mean, to think about like back in, what was it? 20, you said 2011, right? You were talking about measurement and using evidence-based approaches. And, and a lot of times when I was talking about it and, uh, and playing my ukulele at that time too, right, about ROI, it seemed like it fell on deaf ears because marketers were not really measuring. So I'm curious to see, I mean, or to hear from you, from you both, like, do you think that we have gotten better at measurement or do we just have more data now and not a lot of insights? <laughs> it's a kind of a loaded question. What are your thoughts, Ahana? I think it's both. I think that, you know, I often find that my clients will say to me, you know, we bought a tool that's like a nuclear weapon when we really just needed like a knife, you know what I mean? So I think that there is sometimes too much data. It's hard to figure out what the right metrics are versus the vanity metrics. I think what I see happening more and more is that the needle just keeps moving in the right direction and we keep trying to figure it out. Um, we have some hurdles, you know, HIPAA creates CRM. It, there's just a lot that has to happen. The marketing stack is complex. Um, I don't necessarily know that we are always told to focus on the things that really do move the needle. I think sometimes people don't understand marketing and they think that it should 
be something different, like, you know, the classic billboard problem. So I think that, yeah, I agree with you that ROI is the supercharged word that everybody says they're doing, but I don't know that they're doing it well, but they're trying. And I think that that's the thing that we have to remember is that, you know, it's, it's maturity in an industry that is constantly being hit by so many different things. Yeah. Nareed, you just wrote a blog post about measurement um, and, and healthcare marketing. So what is your perspective on that? That may have been ghostwritten. I'm not sure. My <laughs> um, well, media group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What did I say? No, um, I do think we've moved. Uh, so to Ahava's point, I think we're moving, we're trending in the right direction, right? I think by and large, it's just more data. But I do think we've gone from like, we didn't know what we didn't know to now we know what we don't know. And we're starting to kind of, you know, evolve in that in that direction where uh, hopefully, and I think what we've seen over the last, um, I keep saying six months, I think it's like nine months now, I, I've got to recalibrate my COVID metric. Anyway, over the last nine months or so, um, is that, you know, we've been pushed, and we've heard this from a lot of folks we work with even, that, you know, quite honestly, they're not measuring a lot of stuff or report, I should say reporting a lot of stuff because nobody's asking for it. Well, now they're having more people ask for it within the organization. Where do we stand on this? And what, what, what are, why this? And where are we on this? Because um, we forced everybody in the virtual care telehealth kind of um, um mechanism of our of our care delivery and turns out they liked it so we're having to invest more in that space and so i think people are becoming um i I guess we're realizing you know really what needs to be there and so again i think i think we still are pretty early on um and and you're this is not like we're getting to a finish line right like it's an ever it's an ever moving finish line like we're never going to be done and so but we are at least you know certainly moving in the right direction there's an awful lot of smart people out there that are doing some really cool stuff so yeah well this year too and it's it's really changed the way we look at things and look at our strategies um because as you mentioned reed right everything's kind of moving online digital is now a, a, a valid channel in which we can actually deliver care i think that most health systems realize that now whereas before they may have been on the fence they realize now it's a really great tool but suddenly now this becomes very important. And I actually had this conver- this question come up in conversation the other day. And they said, well, how do you measure the modern patient journey now? Hmm. And, you know, and that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, what, what are your thoughts? Ahava, what do you think about that? I think it's a pinball machine. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I, I, I just think about myself, like, you know, all the different machinations that I have to go through. And I actually understand what this stuff is talking about. And I'm still super confused sometimes. Uh, I think that, I don't think it's linear anymore. You know, people used to go to their doctor or their primary care physician and they would tell them to go to a specialist or they would send them for tests and then they would come back. And now, you know, because of the internet, there's so much information. I would argue sometimes too much information for people. They have decision fatigue and they get paralysis through analysis. And I think one of the best things that we need to think about in the next 10 years is getting this information so clear to people about this is step one, this could then turn into step two, two A, two B, two C. I I just feel like, you know, Reed, it was so interesting what you said about how you started off doing marketing and patient experience and then that changed. I actually think in 10 years, 20 years from now, 
uh, we're going to call marketing customer experience because that's what's happening. The technology, the process, the people are all sort of merging together, I think. Yeah, it's a really good point, too. Um, yeah, I, I always I, I like to think of marketing or big M marketing as being about the customer. You know, if you think about it that way um, and that you you what you should do if you're doing big end marketing is kind of center all your strategies around making sure your customer is having the right experiences, is getting the right information at the right time. All of those buzzwords that we talk about right all the time back and forth. But I have real sympathy for the people listening to this because I think they all want to do big M and their doctors are telling them like, mm -hmm. why aren't I first on Google or how come I don't have this? And I don't really think hospital marketers are going to be able to push through the way they really want to until yeah. the stakeholders trust them and give them free reign and stop telling them how to market, but start listening to what they want to do and what they say. And that I think is one of the major changes I've seen. I'd be interested to hear Reed if you see that as well. Well, the reason they're not first on Google is because they keep Googling their competitors. And so that's not helpful one, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Sorry. It's just, yeah, anyway, um, I think. Can we get a ruptor in here? To, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Counterpoint. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah, no, I, I do. I, I think we're we're trying we're trying to do the big end marketing, and even even digital has changed now, right? Where uh, we're not talking about digital marketing, we're talking about digital as a whole. So that includes patient care delivery kind of stuff, and that includes the IT department, the quality department, operations, and all these people. And I think I'll have it to your point uh, that you made earlier. Um, I think we'll see a lot of things change over the next 10 years as far as roles and responsibilities and the way departments look um, because it's just not quite as clean as it used to be to say, here's the IT folks and they do this stuff over here. And then, you know, here's our quality person. And she used to be the CNO at one of our hospitals. And now she's in this quality role. And, and anyway, and it just, it was very clean before. And um there will still be a few things that, I mean, certainly people uh, will continue to do things like uh, community engagement type stuff. You know, you may have the person doing that, but it is, as a whole, it's going to be really hard to delineate where a lot of this stuff starts and stops. And so I don't know what that means exactly. I do know that. Um, Can we call way, it marketing? Yeah, and I think we've got to change the way that we're teaching people in these MHA programs and things like that to how they think about running hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, just to talk about the hospital piece of this for a second. And so, you know, we have people come out of these MHA programs and then they go and they train other people that have always run hospitals. And so it's kind of this cascading effect of this is the way you do it. And there's a lot of good in that. But it's making it harder to evolve the thought process around what consumerism really means, for example. Well, I see a, I see a trend, too, that there are a, a certain number of health systems around the country that are just basically coming in and imploding their marketing department, as you know it. They're just reinventing mm. it, um, stripping it all down, changing all the roles, uh, partnering with other departments. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is that is that what you're suggesting, Reed? Is that like we have to kind of go nuclear on this or is it a slow evolution? Well, I'm glad I didn't get that question. <laughs> As the marketing guy. Um, so, <laughs> I no, I don't think it's a nuclear option because, I, I mean, I do think, it, I think, though, that 
And what, Chris, you and I have talked about this on previous episodes even, but the idea is that historically speaking, if you, if you looked back, even when I got into hospitals and healthcare systems, um, it, I really wasn't the director of marketing. I was the director of advertising, right? And it was just the, the promotional P of the four P's, right? So we don't have a lot of folks from the marketing strategy side of the, maybe not strategy, let me leave that out. The marketing communication side, um, in conversations around the product, around certainly not around the price, right? And so, like, no, no one's, you know, we're not in those meetings of like where we should build the next freestanding ER and, you know, what our, like, how our services should be structured and packaged and, and things like that. So, I think we've got to have seats at those tables. And, and certainly, I think the way we're changing and thinking about well, what are we trying to accomplish as organizations? Is it just patient acquisition or is it population health? And, and, and you know, changing the way that we're thinking about what we provide to our communities. And, and I think that's a huge role that, you know, the, the head, if you will, the lead of marketing communications can play um, is, is being in those conversations, certainly. And I'd like to push that further because what I'd like to say is that everybody has to move towards the goal of health being wellness and prevention rather than health care after you already have to respond to a problem. And yeah. I think that we see that in the consumerism space. Why are so many of these brands doing so well with all these wellness brands? Well, that's because that's the kind of health care that people really crave. How do I stop myself from getting inside of a hospital? But for marketers at hospitals, we need people to come inside the hospital. So how do we shift our mentalities so that we're not just running hospitals the way that we ran them, but we're running health systems that are designed to prevent people from going into health crises and then to care for them if that does happen. Because no matter how much you prevent it, it can just happen. Yeah, and I think along those lines, and Chris and I talked about this on our last episode around population health, but it's this idea of... Um, like the hospital care at home, you know, is becoming kind of a term that you're seeing and people, you know, in, in, again, COVID has forced us into some of these models, like the virtual care, you know, or telehealth we've been saying for years and everybody said, this is not like my epiphany here, but like we've been saying for years, obviously, Hey, telehealth, telehealth, telehealth. Well, until everybody was forced into that model, it was really hard to get any meaningful traction, at least broadly speaking, and, and then, whoa, turns out everybody liked it, you know, kind of a thing. Now, will people go back to in-person care? Yeah, they, they will. Uh, but there'll be a leveling and certain people will stay with that virtual care model when they can. Some people will go back to the in-person care. So I think, um, you know, to that point, it, it's, you know, we've got to rethink and it be well care versus sick care, you know, kind of thing and all the things that you're talking about. And so, yeah. Well, it's going to go even further too, right? Mohammed, we talked about this in, in your video series that we yeah. did like we also have a responsibility to the health of our community and that can go, that extends past just wellness and, and care. I mean, we're getting into population, uh, into social determinants of health. We're getting into racial equity. We're getting into, you know, uh, just addressing the needs overall, um, mentally, physically, et cetera, of our, uh, of our communities. So it's going to be interesting. So today we're sitting here, we're doing this virtually, right? Because of this year, it's been a crazy year. So I'm interested. Okay. If, uh, well, a little what bit. What happened? Well, what do you I, mean? I know. <laughs> I don't even remember either, Reed. <laughs> Sometimes I try not to. Um, but, you know, uh, one thing I, I thought would be interesting for us to do is like flash forward now a year in advance. 
what do you think it's going to, what, what are we going to be talking about in a year from now? What's going to be the topic of du jour of the conference or du jours, so to speak? <laughs> Thoughts? That's a great question. Um, rye bread or what are, what are you doing next year? <laughs> so different. I, I want that chocolate chip sourdough loaf. Really. <laughs> I expect you, one next year. Are we going to be, first of all, are we going to be in person? Or are we going to be virtual? I think we'll be a hybrid for sure. There may be some people attending online, other people attending offline. Sure. You know, I think that's for sure. But are we going to be really talking about now we got, we understand this patient experience thing and this is how we're going to be doing it. These are our best practices. This is how we measure it. Or, you know, what, what are you guys saying a year from now? I think it depends on the vaccine rollout. So mm-hmm. much of it depends on that. Um, I know that we've written about how to write about vaccines, and I think that everybody has, I, I like everyone I talk to, every client, every friend, every colleague is just exhausted. And we're preparing now for this, whatever it's going to be, surge three, wave two, whatever you want to call it. And and then now they have to get ready to explain the vaccine and roll out the vaccine. And, you know, I and it's politicized in the masks and I don't know what we're going to be talking about because I just don't know what that's going to look like. If it if it runs somewhat smoothly and it's equitable in its distribution, I think that we'll pretty much talk about lessons learned from this experience, leadership lessons learned, and then we're going to start talking about how to rebuild revenue streams and new products and services we can offer. You have to remember also like Amazon and CVS and Target, they are they are right there chomping at the bit to take up some of this revenue. Mm-hmm. So we can't forget that other wall that we have to defend on some level and, and create innovation around. But I don't know, Reed, I'd be fascinated to hear what you think, because that to me is where I wonder, what is this going to look like in March if half the people are vaccinated, half the people aren't? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And does the vaccine really work? I mean, they're doing it in clinical trials, but now you get people out into the wild, then what happens? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty optimistic in the sense that um, what the upside of this is for for really any conference. So do I think we'll be back in person? Yeah, I think there's probably a pretty good chance. Um, But I think what it's going to allow us to do is we've vetted a way that people can learn right online and they don't have to be there in person. So a lot of people that it was a barrier for in the past because they didn't have travel budgets or whatever it may be potentially can still take advantage, which is great news um, for just the idea of propagating great ideas and best practices and things like that. Now, for, as far as what we're talking about, um, I think some of the things that we're starting to talk about now, like the population health pieces, and and certainly measurement will continue to be on the forefront because we've just got more opportunities for it. Um, you know, the like we talked about all the data that we have access to and things like that. So benchmarking and measurement and some things like that, I think will be there as well as um, really with the virtual care population health. And I think you'll see more of that thematically inside the marketing and how we're trying to, um, you know, be good stewards in our communities with the information that we have and the expertise that we have. At least I hope, you know, we see some more of that stuff. Um, So, yeah. Well, this is, I guess, what we'll have to do is promise to regroup in a year and and kind of uh, replay this episode or this interview and and see if we were close or not. Um, This has been a really great conversation. I wish we had more time. Um, Obviously, if people want to, you know, listen in to Reed and I, you can always find us on Touchpoint.Health. But Ahava, if people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them? 
to get yeah, to. Yeah, so they should go to ahamediagroup.com. We also have a weekly Zoom cast. Um, I do invite anybody at this conference to please contact us if you're interested in being a guest. We love having different people and learning from different people. You can usually find that video on our YouTube channel at Aha Media Group and also on LinkedIn. And we do have a podcast also where we just take the audio, similar to what we're doing right now. Excellent. Well, great conversation. Congratulations to the both of you again for being part of the Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame, most innovative individuals of this year. Well-deserved. And um, let's continue on the conversation as we always do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris and Reed. All right. Well, that was that was fun. I, and like I said, it was a, it was a big honor and it was a lot of fun to just sit down and have a conversation and um, couldn't think of anybody better to have that with uh, than having a hava on the show. So certainly appreciate her doing that, her willingness to do that. And special thanks to uh, Kathy Divis and team over at Greystone and HCIC for uh, allowing us the opportunity to do it. So that was a lot of fun. Absolutely. The entire conference was actually really good, if you think about it, right? And in retrospect, they did a great job. I think virtual conferences are always going to be a bit of a, a new thing for us. We're, all, we're always used to getting together, but what a great way for us to connect with peers and others and learn about some of the latest trends. So hope you had an opportunity to attend and you can always uh, connect with HCIC afterwards if you haven't. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's transition. We've got uh, the second helping on deck here. Who are we hearing from now? Uh, recently, I actually had a chance to sit down with both Marin Jensen, who's with Sanford Health, and Chris Eastwood, which was with a company called Point Across Media. And we talked about the role of video and how to actually engage in a large-scale video project, particularly in the time of COVID, and how they were able to put together a really interesting approach to taking video of all of their physician providers for a big project. And it was really an interesting use case. And we thought it would be a, a great main course, so to speak, for our show today. I encourage you to everybody to kind of jump in and take a listen and learn from them and what they've done. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. But today I think we should be calling it Ask the Experts because I'm fortunate enough to have two people join me today, Chris Eastwood and Marin Jensen. Welcome to the both of you. Yeah, thanks for having me. For people listening in that may not know a little bit about your background, maybe you can uh, tell people where, what you're doing. Chris Eastwood, I'm managing partner and co-founder of Point Across Media. We are a video production company. We produce video content for the healthcare industry. Um, we're based out of Seattle. We've been in business for 12 years now, and we have, uh, although we're based in Seattle, we do have a national presence, which is nice to be here. So I'm Marin Jensen, and I lead our content marketing team for Sanford Health. Uh, we are based in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, but we really have a very large footprint covering major, four major regions in Sioux Falls, Fargo, North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Bemidji, Minnesota. So we have a very large footprint, which is a, always a challenge for content, but it's a really exciting thing that we're leading um, and kind of launched early this year. What we're going to be talking about today is actually format in which you were able to work together in developing content, and that is through video. And, you know, we've talked about video on this program before. We know that the use of video in terms of content creation is ever evolving. Chris, you work, uh, your organization works in producing video for a lot of different companies, uh, even outside of the healthcare industry. What are some of the larger trends that you're seeing around video? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, 10 years ago when we started, um, it was kind of like why video? And as you mentioned, it's evolved and the sophistication of even your camera now is so amazing. 
what we're seeing even like five years ago it was like yeah we understand video is important but we have internal teams and now it's like hey we have internal teams but they're so busy doing all the content that is being asked of us a lot of times they'll outsource it to um, an organization like us so we're seeing trends going that way but it's amazing how like i said the phone is so sophisticated now there's just a broad use of video from highly produced to using your cell phone to everything in between so yeah it's a pretty amazing time and video is becoming a very important part of an organization's content strategy and so Marin, from your perspective how did you start to look at video as being part of your overall content marketing or content communication strategy Sure. Um, you know, about two and a half years ago, we launched what is now called Sanford Health News, and it's really our blog platform. And that was kind of the start of our content strategy and thinking about how Sanford Health um, utilizes content creation to sell our business. In that facet, we were very much looking at a journalistic style of sharing our message, whether it be education or patient information, resources, um, even diving into earned media resources. And so we just expanded a lot of our video content to serve a wide variety of audiences across a couple of different platforms, Sanford Health News being one of them, and then our main.org, SanfordHealth.org, where we um, completely redid that website. And as we did that, we had provider profile videos up for each provider on our website. And we knew that they weren't great because we were taking a look at um, playthrough rate, you know, just anything, anything that could give us an idea of if it was a, a tool that people were utilizing. And what we found is that they were too long and they weren't very conversational. And as we evolved and launched that new website, we made the decision to not move any of those provider bio videos over to the new web platform. We knew that we needed to do provider bio videos to help the you know, shopping for a provider experience be as good as it can be. Um, but it was a matter of where to start. It was super overwhelming um, as we were trying to launch Sanford Health News and really navigate the journalistic style of things. We also had this need to produce things that were going to make the shopping experience online super easy for our consumers and our patients. And so it was like, okay, how are we going to get all of this done? And that's kind of how we figured out a way to prioritize and figure out how to kind of um, partner with different entities in order to make that happen while still utilizing the skill set of our internal team. So you mentioned provider bio videos. And when you said, you know, you decided not to migrate those over, I know many people listening in that work at health systems, they probably shuddered in their, you know, in their chairs hearing this or wherever they are listening, right? Because it's so notoriously difficult to get physicians to actually, you know, be able to create those videos, let alone create the right type of videos. You mentioned that you wanted them to be you know, different for the new online consumer. What was your expectation of what that looks like? We had to put on our marketer hat and think about what a consumer is expecting from a provider bio experience. Why are they there? And what are they looking for in a provider? So you can drive traffic to your website all day long, but if they're not finding what they need on the provider's profile, that's really where they're supposed to shop for those services. And so how are we optimizing what that experience looks like? Uh, so we very strategically looked at how long are people really opting in to watch a video about anything? And so we wanted to make them a lot more digestible in length. Um, I come from a 
broadcasting background as a lot of my coworkers do as well and very much a storytelling type of approach. And so we know how successful that can be in delivering key messages about a provider and why you would choose them over someone else or a competitor. And so we wanted to bring that to the provider bio shopping experience. So the ideal length for a consumer with video online, Chris, that's what, like six seconds? <laughs> yeah, you would think with the attention. The attention span of today's consumer, I, I think, was about eight yeah. <laughs> last time I checked. Yeah. You know, our, our entire team comes from television news, and we share that same background with, with Marin's um, sentiment there. And it's so important to, to share that story and tell that story. And we learned that, you know, back in the day, it was like 90 seconds, right? You, know, you tell your story, and you got to be on the air at, at 5 o'clock. And now it's, you know, to your point, it's even shorter. And um, that 60 seconds is where we see where you can really, um, it's short enough and they care. So it's really dependent on how much they care about what they're trying to find and learn about. And when it comes to their physician, I mean, nothing's more important than your health and having that trust with your physician. And we find 60 seconds is about the right length. You can also then, you know, chop that up, if you will, and create some social content around that, which is obviously shorter, YouTube pre-roll, et cetera. So you say 60 seconds, right? And then you said you could also chop that up. And I know that we all have been in this space for a while, right? That it's, it's just crazy to think about, right? It used to be you'd show up, you, you get a doctor for a half an hour, you film everything possible, and then you try to chunk out all the right pieces. Now we're talking about 60 seconds of time. So that, that probably took a lot of planning around what is important to capture in that 60 seconds. So Marin, can you talk a little bit about with that short period of time, what is the essence of what you're trying to capture from that doctor? We kind of standardized the types of questions that we were asking to get somewhat of a template for how we wanted to go about it. But at the same time, we also are very fortunate with how large our footprint is. We do have boots on the ground in each of those areas. So I know that the team that I was sending to go interview these docs, they knew who those people were and what their strengths were and what their differentiators were. And so while we followed the template, we were also very mindful about, okay, I know this ob is so good at you know bedside manner, or she's so good and passionate about sexual health or whatever it might be. And so pulling those little sound bites out that set them apart from the rest of the team even is what was so important to us. And so you're able to do that just because our marketing team knows them so intimately. Yeah, it, it's really important. I think Marin touched on something that's really important, and that is they're really their story. And we try to focus on a half hour of their time. It's usually a 15 minutes of interview and then 15 minutes of B-roll where they're in a neighboring exam room with a quote-unquote patient. Sometimes that's a marketing person, you know, all depending on the situation. But it's really seeing them and their bedside manners and how they're interacting. It really gives the viewer an idea of what that appointment might look like. The sound is obviously coming from the interview, but you see that background footage, which I think is really key. Um, we also don't do any scripting. We found that that really um, comes really problematic. Uh, people in general overprepare, but physicians uh, really want to obviously look good. And even if they're a subject matter expert, charismatic, if they come with a script, um, it's like they're reading their fifth grade book report and it's just uh, really tough content. So we come with more open-ended questions. We try to get more conversational and that's really when you get that real authentic content. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, you know, I, I know that 
firsthand working at health systems and trying to get physicians in front of a camera, I almost sometimes want to go up to them and like loosen their tie and undo their white coat, right? Just to get them to be a little bit more casual and, and realize that this isn't that formal of a setting. Maren, did you, is that, is that hard to do? Is that hard to shift the perspective of a physician to speak in a consumer friendly way? It is. Um, I think the, the bonus is that we, we try to diversify who's doing earned media so we can kind of get them used to that. Um, and I think too, starting with OB-GYNs and uh, the women's providers that we prioritized as kind of the people to go first in this phase project, it also helps to ease the anxiety of the providers that will follow. So if I can create a best practice for the way that we do this, then it's easy for me to send, hey, I know that this might seem overwhelming, but here's a couple that we've done that have gone really well. And here's the impact that this makes on your provider bio video. So you're kind of able to show the proof in the pudding. I still know, though, from video shoots in the in the past that I've done, Chris, that it, it the day of production it becomes a bit of a challenge, right? So, are there any uh, suggestions? Like, you know, once you finally get that physician, their half an hour of time of their precious calendar in a room with a video camera, w- what are some suggestions or tricks in order to to make sure that 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 you're optimizing that time? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, you want to be really organized um, on the front end. And when they do arrive, you're ready to go. And that, you know, you really make them feel at ease right off the bat. I think it's the skill of the interviewer and the producer that makes it more conversational and sets that ease. But to maximize the time, you want to, you know, make sure, obviously, you're prepared and ready to go. But then you also let them know that, um, you know, this isn't painful and that, uh you know, we're going to just have a conversation and just pretend the camera's not there and, and we always edit, et cetera. So obviously, you know, sometimes there's higher priorities than their video shoot <laughs> for obvious reasons. And that's when you could just have to be flexible and realize that it may, no, it may not go perfect, but the more organized you are and the more that you really put them at ease and make them feel comfortable, uh, the more successful you'll be. How did you coordinate all of this? It sounds complex. Yeah, we had a lot of pre-meetings uh, and with a lot of team members that were internal um, and obviously collabor- collaborating with Chris's team as well. Um, we had a project manager who really led the whole thing and we did a lot of online scheduling. Uh, the kind of boots on the ground or our senior marketing specialists in each region worked with the clinic directors of each location to schedule. I think ultimately we shot over 100 providers in the span of probably two, maybe three months. Um, across four states. So it was very challenging. Um, The coordination part is probably the most challenging. Ultimately, they were the proofing process went so much smoother than I thought it would because they were all very happy with the overall product. We had very few edits. So I think the preparation on the front end made the back end, the proofing process so much easier. And then the uploading process to our website, uh, we had kind of planned for all of that ahead of time so that we knew what was coming. 100 physicians in how, how long did you say, Marin? What, Chris, was it three months? Yeah, it was six weeks of total shooting. And then, as Marin mentioned, about three months total after editing and everything done. And, and you're right, Chris, it can be very complex and overwhelming. Um, obviously, Marin and her team did a fantastic job. We really coordinated together. And that's always our goal, to work closely with our, with our customers. And they have a, a superstar team. We communicated up front. Like she mentioned, we did a lot of pre-meetings. Um, but it's our online scheduler and just keeping on track that really makes um, what can be very complex uh, easier. 
I think that's one of the benefits of also partnering with an outside. If you try to undertake this internally, you just get lost in all of this. Clearly also with this multi-state approach that you're taking, you kind of need more boots on the ground. Is that right? Yeah, I think we figured out if we had taken our internal team offline, it would have slowed down the like, because then you're stopping all other marketing efforts, which isn't reality. So I think it would have taken our team offline for, oh man, it would have been probably three times as long. We see that a lot too. It's it's something where, you know, they get going on a project and it's taking so long and, and scheduling doctors can be challenging. So this leads to the, the last question I really want to ask of the both of you, right, about this project is that the investment in this, because, you know, Marin, I think you addressed this well, right? If you took all your marketing team offline to do this, it would have been substantial uh, uh, disruption in the work that you do. A lot of organizations, they kind of sh- shirk away from it because it could be very costly. As you're selling this to you know your internal team as to if you can justify it like for me I'm always thinking about like video is king we all know that so we know it's it's not a matter of if you need video it's how you need it um, and to Chris's point earlier like you can shoot a lot of things on your phone you can shoot a lot of things internally with the team you have but it's answering a couple of questions at the front end of how long is this going to need to live like so this particular project we knew was going to live for years to come these physicians are invested in this company and want to stay. And so what are we doing to sell them and keep them here? Um, So knowing that we want it to live on for a long time was worth the investment for us. And I think also just thinking about how do you scale it afterwards? So we do, we have a very built out team internally and our videography team is so talented. And so I'm fortunate that I have that at my fingertips all the time. But as we were planning this project to really catch up to our website launch and getting all of these provider bio videos done so we could keep the work moving, we were also thinking about, okay, well, we can't have an external vendor come for everything. So how are we making this scalable as we onboard new physicians or need to update some? Um, So we were very mindful of that at the beginning of figuring out a way to make it scalable for our team to replicate when we need to. Um, and then also thinking about, you know, do your internal resources allow for it? What else do you have going on from a video perspective that you're still going to need to, you know, carry forward? We had Sanford Health News. That's still very much a huge strategic initiative for us. And so we're doing all of the storytelling and commercial shoots and all of the other marketing needs, um, some organic and some highly produced. And we just did not have the capacity to take on the provider bio video project itself, but we knew it still needed to happen. And I also was thinking about future state and campaign planning. I knew I wanted to run some women's campaigns in the future, but I didn't feel great about driving all of this, you know, digital traffic. we prioritize digital placement, but is the end result, like the click-through, is it delivering what a consumer is going to need in order to make the decision about that physician and if it's the right fit for them? I think that that's a a great way to look at that, right? Because the investment in these videos ultimately is an investment in uh, supporting your consumerism uh, strategy around getting potential patients engaged with with that clinician or that physician in order to make the appointment. 
Cost is always a factor, and it's important to always look at costs. But in terms of the overall affordability, you know, um, we really try to make it um, not only affordable, but very cost efficient. And when you look at the ROI, and you look, as, as Martin mentioned, the, the click-throughs, and as people are getting to that decision and, and connecting with that physician, it's, it's worth a lot. But I think when you look at volume and scale, people have a kind of a misunderstanding. They think you're going to bring in this, you know, huge crew and fly everyone around. And we have a very lean team uh, on the ground that obviously helps with the COVID situation now that makes everything uh, very affordable. This is a great use case of how video can be leveraged in a, in a very successful way for organizations, particularly when you're taking on large projects like this at scale, which have such a significant importance to the, the future state of your organization. I, I really appreciate the both of you coming on to talk a little bit about it today. Uh, you know, people listening in may want to know a little bit more about you. Why don't we start with uh, you, Marin? Can you share a little bit about how people can uh, find you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You've searched me, Marin Jensen, um, Sanford Health. Um, also look at sanfordhealth.org as well as news.sanfordhealth.org. And then uh, follow me on Twitter. My handle is somewhat bizarre, but I also write a fashion and lifestyle blog. It's another random thing that I do. Uh, so my Twitter <laughs> handle is actually at Midwest in Style. So you can follow me there. But I share a lot of um, healthcare focused content as well. You can reach me at chris at pointacrossmedia.com. Uh, you can also learn more about us at pointacrossmedia.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, really enjoyed the, the conversation today. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate the both of you spending some time today to, to walk through this with us and, and share this important uh, approach for our users. Thank you again for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Well, special thanks to Marin and to Chris Eastwood for being on the show. Uh, that was a really great conversation. And I hope uh, everybody listening in reaches out to them and, and learns, connects more to learn a little bit more about how they were able to accomplish such a Herculean project. Herculean. There you go. Well, yeah, special thanks. So glad they were on the show. Just just to kind of think through and round out the year a little bit from a scheduling standpoint, again, the next episode you'll hear is episode 200, which should be a lot of fun. So more to come on that. Please tune in. It'll be kind of a, a historical look back uh, across those first 200 episodes. Believe me, we're not going to rattle off clips from all 200 episodes, but uh, it'll be kind of fun. And then uh, certainly our end of the year episode will be coming up, which is always great. We'll have a survey that goes out here shortly where you can vote on your favorite guest and topic and, and all that kind of fun stuff, recommendation, et cetera. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, we'll have that towards the end of the year and our, our forward-looking 2021 episode as well will be uh, will be coming up. So those will be, will be great. We also have some webinars too, right, Reed? Yeah, we do. We've got a couple of webinars uh, in December. One uh, you and I are doing with, um, with our friends over at Medicom Health with Tony and team. And then I've also got one that I'm doing with um, our friends over at Binary Fountain. So again, links and a little more detail in that weekly TPS report. So again, touchpoint.health is the website. Go there, click on the TPS report, subscribe, and uh, you'll uh, you'll get a weekly email with uh, many things in it, uh, one of which is uh, links to these webinars. All right. Well, let's uh, do some recommendations before we uh, close out today. 
Okay, Reed, I will start. I will recommend something that I never thought I would recommend because when it first came out, I was like so opposed. I was so anti it. Mm-mm. Can you guess what I'm talking about? No. Okay. <laughs> what I'm talking about are Apple AirPods. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when they first came out, I thought those are so expensive and going to immediately lose them. And I don't see the use case. I'm cool with all the, you know, the, the stringed up AirPods from before and never wanted one. Well, you know, recently, as you probably know, for the holidays, they had some incredible Black Friday deals that have been going on throughout the month of November. Mm-hmm. And as an early Christmas gift, yes, we're already talking about Christmas, my wife decided to give me some, particularly since my wired earbuds uh, broke. And I'm telling you, it's probably one of the most useful things I've ever had. <laughs> they are pretty great. They are, pretty they great. are great. Yeah. I mean, not only can I uh, put them in and then not even you know just walk around, I can leave my phone on the desk or whatever as long as I'm within air distance. Uh, she got me the kind that are charged wirelessly. And a couple episodes ago, I mentioned the, uh, the wireless pad that we have, charging pad. Well, now I could just throw the whole thing right there on the wireless pad when I'm not using it. They charge throughout the day. And then when I need them, I just pop them into my ears. I could use them not only my iPhone, but I could use it with my Mac. Uh, it's just incredibly useful. Um, the only thing that's a downside is sometimes I'm walking around with them in my ears and my wife doesn't know if I'm talking to someone or I'm just talking to myself. So right. That's the only downside. But I would highly recommend them. They're on sale right now for many of the major outlets. So definitely go check them out. If you've been wanting to make the jump to try them out, I would highly recommend them. Apple AirPods. Well, there you go. No, it's a great, great recommendation. Absolutely. Uh, I am going to recommend an app. Now, this exists as a website as well, and it's super useful as a website, but I have found the app on my uh, iPad uh, pretty pretty useful, but it's called Reverb. And uh, imagine Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or eBay or you know whatever, fill in the blank, for only uh, musical instruments. And uh, that's what it is. And so, again, if you're wondering you know, the value of a guitar that maybe you have, or you're looking for uh, a new um, a new guitar or something like that, it's a great place to kind of nose around and see what's out there. There's a lot of cool stuff, uh, a lot of cool instruments on there. So Reverb is the uh, the app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to, mm-hmm. I, I have heard of it. I haven't played around with it. So I'm going to maybe uh, spend some time this holiday weekend uh, trying it out. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at guitars and stuff like that, and thinking I may want another one. And um, so it's a good place to kind of go and see what the used value is. You know, kind of the market value for those. If you're looking at even buying something uh, from somebody, you know, it'll kind of give you an idea of kind of what the market value is and stuff like that. So it's uh, yeah, good app. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up episode 199. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. And uh, certainly we'd love to hear from you. Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, what have you, is a great place to let us know what topics we should be covering, who we should be interviewing, all that kind of fun stuff. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we will, of course, as always, see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.